0: if you don't mind me saying so he needs a good talking to and perhaps a bit more my own girls sir didn't care for the overlook at first one of them actually stole a pack of my matches and tried to burn it down I corrected them I corrected them most harshly and when my wife tried to stop me from doing my duty I corrected her This episode of the podcast Under the Stairs is brought to you in conjunction with Legion Podcast Network. Check out the podcast Under the Stairs and many other shows over at legionpodcast.com. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 94. I'm your host Duncan McLeish and welcome to the show. Episode 94 continues our top 10 summer countdown. This top 10 is looking at the top 10 Stephen King movies and TV movies, adaptations, if you will. Um, We have been running this for a good couple of weeks now and we have finally reached number 4 on the countdown. And Number 4 is... The Shining. Now, for some people out there, you may be wondering why I'm covering The Shining when I did it just a couple of episodes ago with the Baz and the guys from the podcast on Haunted Till and some other people will be confused why The Shining's at number four and not like number one because many times on this show I have said that The Shining and the thing kind of jostle for number one. In my top horror movies of all time. Well, I did set out some criteria which I have kind of explained already, and because there are so many differences between the movie and the book, um, that kind of penalised it a little bit. It doesn't mean that my love for that movie is any less, it is legitimately one of the greatest horror movies ever made, it just doesn't reach the top echelon of this countdown for that very reason that has been reserved for a movie which is far closer to the book even though that in itself has quite a lot of changes but i'm not giving anything away so stick around with me Um, so what we're going to do in this review is something a bit different a bit quirky myself and my guest coming up richard smith from hello this is a doom show podcast um we're going to discuss the things that we really like about the movie and we're going to also kind of cut into some of the inconsistencies that um, Kubrick just loves to fuck with you on um, throughout the movie, and uh, we'll, we'll relate it back to the the novel as well. So that is coming up. Later on in the show, in fact, very shortly. Um, There is some huge news which I broke on the Facebook page um, just a couple of days ago that you are going to hear at the end of this show, so please stick around until then. If you are in Scotland, or even better, if you are in Glasgow, you will want to hear this news. Um, It's huge for myself and it's huge for the podcast Under the Stairs, and to be honest, none of it would have happened without you guys listening. So I'm going to take a very short break just now. I'm going to play promos for shows that I love. You're also going to hear the intro for this top 10 series of shows. When I return, I'm joined by my guest Richard Smith. Coming right back, right after this.
1: Hello. You've heard of Honest Movie Trailers, right?
0: This is an Honest Podcast promo. I'm not going to fill it with sound effects and explosions and quotes from movies and all that kind of stuff. Because, hey, I wouldn't want to build up your hopes on the production values of what you might actually get if you download our silly little podcast. Instead, I'm just going to put in a highly inappropriate in-joke that you won't get unless you listen to the show.
1: The Little Pot of Horrors. The best idea since premarital sex on Halloween. Like I said, pussy's back on the table. Find us on simplysyndicated.com and on iTunes. If you dare.
0: Hello? Hello,
1: who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn.
0: You're making popcorn? Uh Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh Yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of the strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Hmm. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So you going to ask me out. Okay, show me. You can do nothing against the master. Stop, holy man! We cut the boy's throat. Back, back, holy man, back, shaman, back,
1: priest. You've had your whole
0: fucking life to think things over. What good's a few minutes more gonna do you now?
1: <laughs> This isn't what happened last week. Have you all got amnesia? They just cheated us. This isn't fair. He didn't get out of the cost duty car. The ice is gonna break. I could hold
0: my breath for a long time. <laughs> it's from them the blood of human sacrifice must come from them the blood of expiation
1: I'm I got my, God. God. I got my Father's Day. <laughs> we want the boy. You we want back. the boy. Kill him! Kill him! I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. I'm gonna bash him right the fuck in. <laughs> He's gonna laugh at They're all gonna laugh at me. You can't me. You can stay That you change your mind? But, but you are the caretaker. You've always been the caretaker.
0: So joining me for this very special look at number four on my top ten Stephen King adaptations of movies and TV movies is a fantastic guest who's been on a couple of times this year. I keep bringing him back because I like him so fucking much. Nothing to do with the book that he sent me. It wasn't a bribe. (laughs) I am not bribed by a book. Maybe it was the book. Maybe I'm easily bribed. Right, it was the stickers that you put in it. It I'm, I'm bought for stickers. That's what it is. (laughs) Uh, It's my very good friend, Richard Smith, from the Hello This Is A Doom Show podcast. How are you doing, Richard?
1: Doing very well. Thanks for having me back, sir.
0: Oh, no, it's always my pleasure to to have you here. And to be honest, uh, I've been looking forward to this one probably the most out of the entire list because... Those out there know The Shining is like legit one of my favourite horror movies of all time. So uh, I spoke about it a couple of weeks ago on a bonus episode, but that didn't go into the nitty gritty. This one's going into the nitty gritty. So if you're going to do nitty gritty, you get Richard in. That's That's what I've been told.
1: I only brought the gritty. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've got the nitty, so we're sorry. Oh,
0: yay! I've been knitting all day with my needles. That's the nitty <laughs> and nitty gritty, isn't it? I don't yes. know. I don't know. Absolutely, yes. <laughs> so, like I said at the start, there you have a show. We have spoken about it before, but for anyone that has just recently stumbled across this, uh, across this podcast, it's probably good to mention it again. It's called Hello. This is a Doom Show. Tell us about your show.
1: Oh man, thank you. Hello, Doom Show is. Uh, my little peek into my bedroom no uh, <laughs> it is a podcast I do with my buddies uh, Jeffrey, Brad, and Nafa and we talk about slashers and gialli, and we talk about just all horror and we branch out into cult movies a little bit and uh, been doing it for a few years love it thinking of changing the name to the Live and La Vida Duder podcast <laughs> no I promise we will never do that <laughs> sorry
0: <laughs> ah. <laughs> I kind of want that podcast to exist now. <laughs> kind of just a little bit want that podcast to exist. So
1: it was created right here, just now.
0: Copyright it, copyright it. Oh my god! You, you, but you guys have been on the go for quite a while with that one as well, though, haven't you?
1: Yeah, it's been about five years, and uh, we're way less productive than we should be. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we—it's—I guess it's for life all it is for life you um, so the
0: question that I'm going to ask you before we, we jump out um, and uh, put the trailer for the movie is The Shining um, as a movie and as a novel I take it you've read, uh, you've read The Shining and you've obviously seen the movie because we're talking about it <laughs> but what order did you do that in did you see the movie first or did you read the book first
1: Yes, uh, I saw the uh, movie first when I was very, very, very young on cable with my parents, and then I read the book. I don't even know, like years later, when I was reading everything Stephen King I could get my hands on, and uh, I, I was definitely, I guess, because of the order, I was disappointed with the book.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, I see what you're saying.
1: But I know, th- I know that if I'd. You know, read, flip-flopped it, you know, I would have definitely uh, I, I don't know if I would definitely be annoyed with the differences but I, I certainly would have noticed them.
0: Yeah, yeah, because as we <laughs> are going to go on and talk about uh, Kubrick Kubrick had the novel and Kubrick had some notes from people involved in the adaptation and Kubrick basically said not doing that, not doing that. Um... He's Stanley Kubrick, and you (laughs) don't fuck with Stanley Kubrick. Hell
1: Uh, no.
0: No, hell no. Uh, That's cool. So, um, right, with that in mind, we're going to take a very short break. When we return, uh, we're going to discuss this movie. You are going to hear the trailer first and the promos for shows that I love. When we return, it's The Shining right after this.
1: Hello and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Sheesh, who are you? Speak.
0: <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark,
1: bark, bark, and he said, bark, 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 and she said, bark, bark, bark. that's what I got. One is the Susperia boner, the other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. which one is crying? <laughs> boner of tears. Hello, this is the doomed show is available on Hello Doomed com and Doomed Movie Hello, hello, this is the Doomed Show that are insightful, thought-provoking, and delivered by somebody who's trained to critically dissect every aspect of a motion picture without ever having to use obscenities.
0: Then you've got the wrong f***ing show. Kruger Nation
1: Horror Podcast is ready to feed your slasher movie and exploitation needs. There'll be more blood, expletives, and titties than you can shake your grandma's beetle flaps at. Visit www.purgernation.com. Oh, good
0: God! A butthole casserole! Hello, I'm Gore Blimey, and I'm your host on the Trilogy of Terror podcast. Each month, I'll look at one director and talk about three of their horror movies. Kicking things off in episode one with Lamberto Bava, the man who brought us demons. Now, the horror films might not always be scary, or even good, but, well, if that happens, what movie and pizza night isn't all the better for a bit of extra cheese? Come and check out the show at Gentleman's records.com or find it on iTunes and Stitcher.
1: The Trilogy of Terror podcast, where we try three times harder to give you the willies.
0: come back so you've just heard the trailer for our feature movie review of this episode it's the shining from 1980 based on the novel by stephen king screenplay by stanley kubrick and according to imdb there's one more credit yeah it's diane johnson she's the woman that kept saying stephen would really like it if you did this and kubrick was like All the women in this movie are neurotic. Well, the woman in this movie is neurotic, so you are neurotic as well. I shall not listen to thee. (laughs) (laughs) If Stanley Kubrick smiled or laughed, which I don't think he ever did. Oh, God. Which he just seems fairly, fairly glum. As an individual. Um, The movie stars Jack Nicholson, the, the rather delectable Jack Nicholson, as Jack Torrance. Shelley Duvall as Wendy Torrance. Danny Lloyd as Danny Torrance. Scatman Carruthers as Dick Halloran. Barry Nelson as Stuart Ullman. Philip Stone as Delbert Grady. Joe Turkle as Lloyd the bartender. Annie Jackson as the doctor and weird jumping away from all that now uh, and going straight to the synopsis is listed on IMDb which is a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where an evil and spiritual presence influences the father into violence while psychic son sees horrific forebodings from the past and of their future so um, we are going to attack this from a slightly different angle, Richard. Um, generally, what I've been doing is I've been like, let's talk about the movie and let's throw in some... Oh, this is a little bit different from the novel and this is cheese this is from the novel and all the rest. But at this stage, I'm going to work on the premise that everyone has seen The Shining nice. are thereabouts. Maybe. better. Hopefully. Hopefully. Because <laughs> uh, we are going to spoil this movie and we are going to spoil the book, so... Uh, FYI, I, I, I got, I, someone very politely reminded me two weeks ago um, that I'm working on the assumption that everyone has seen and read both. Uh, so when I was saying, oh, well, the, the ending of the book, you know, Kujo ends this way uh... and not the way in the movie, people were like, well, I don't know. I now know not to read Cujo because you've kind of spoiled in. So I apologise for that. <laughs> I should be a bit more upfront on it. Um, so, yeah, so we're going to spoil both of them. But basically, kind of working off that synopsis, the story really is that a family uh, headed up by uh, Jack Nicholson's character Jack Torrance who is a writer are heading up to this hotel and um, he's going to take over caretaker position over the very harsh winters up in the Colorado mountains and the hotel The Overlook has a bit of a notorious past, uh, less so in the movie more so in the novel um, but has a bit of a notorious past. Um, and he is told very early, in fact, he's told in his interview, um, one of a couple of things which are slightly inconsistent in this movie, which are kind of make me love it because I know that Kubrick's just fucking weird, um, that a, a, a chap by the name of Charles Grady, not Delbert Grady, because Delbert Grady is in this movie later on, and we don't know if that is Charles Grady. Charles Grady, the caretaker, killed his wife and his twin daughters, and cut them up into little pieces and stacked them in the cupboard and then killed himself because he got the cabin fever, which will happen when you're out in the middle of nowhere and it's snowing for a while, or when you're stuck in an enclosed space with your family that just won't shut the fuck up while you're writing a book. (laughs) Can I get an amen? Richard, you've wrote a book.
1: Ah, uh, what was that?
0: I said you've wrote a book. It was river Oh yeah, all Moments work and no play <laughs>
1: makes Dicky a dull boy. Let me tell you.
0: So basically, um, as time progresses on and their stay up at the hotel, Jack turns um, becomes slightly more unhinged than he already is from the start of this movie, which is fairly unhinged. It um, becomes slightly more inhin- uh, unhinged. Culminating in his uh, his communications with the hotel, um, and we're, we're going to go into more detail about that later on, and then ultimately decides that he needs to kill his family, which he attempts to do, um, unsuccessfully, uh, thank God, uh, what and a ends lame-o. Up <laughs> ends up freezing to death, um, and one of the greatest meme photos which has been replicated, like uh, if even e- ever anyone wants to talk about how cold they are is Jack his face. It's fucking amazing. Um, He freezes to death in the the maze outside the hotel. um, And the the final shot of this movie is a shot um, of the Gold Room, as it's known in in this adaptation. And he is at the forefront of it from the year, I think it's 1924 or 1922, I can't quite remember. And basically the insinuation is that he has always been at the hotel, or certainly he has been embodied in his time there by someone like a spirit or a consciousness of some sort that has always been at that hotel that is a very quick synopsis for this movie richard talk to me a little bit about this why when i was putting this list out of movies did you jump on the shining
1: oh man yeah much like uh much like Jack Nicholson, or uh, much like uh, Jack Torrance, has always been with the Overlook, it feels like The Shining's always been with me. Uh, this film, I mean, I love my parents dearly, and uh, they introduced me to some strange shit when I was really young, <laughs> and uh, this was perfectly fine for uh, for me to watch when I was very young. I mean, I could have been uh, eight, nine when I saw this the first time, so freaked out. As much as I was, I really loved this film from the get-go. Um, this uh, is the reason, like uh, Jack Nicholson's performance specifically, is the reason I never trusted my father. <laughs> just, I just give him a sideways glance whenever he was in the room, and I'm like, you're going to kill us all. <laughs> I know it. Just um, going to move this
0: axe from here. <laughs> and we're just going to put it outside. Is that okay, Dad? Just it I just kept
1: burying it. burying <laughs> it in the back. I like a dog. Um, I like to pretend that uh, Jack Nicholson is never acting in any film he's in, that everything he's ever done is just a documentary of his life at the time. <laughs> Especially this movie. <laughs> uh, I just love the tone of this. I mean, the music is perfect. Mm. So unbelievably creepy. Uh, with uh, composers uh, Wendy Carlos and Rachel Elkind, who didn't do a lot mm-hmm. outside of this, um, a few a few notable things. Uh, they also used the music of um, was it Bella Bartok? Oh, I think. Da, 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 da. trivia fail. <laughs> I, th- I think um, maybe. One thing that the music provides is the tone of this film, which I think the tone is unique to The Shining. You have a non-horror director doing a horror film, so mm-hmm. it always comes out uh, weirder and scarier than it would if this was, like, by someone who was known for horror, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, this is, uh, I mean, just masterfully crafted film, even with all of the quote-unquote mistakes
0: yeah, which you've got to... I mean, I've watched Room 2 I mean, uh several times and I, I appreciate that it's not a documentary on The Shining, it's a documentary on obsession yeah. and how people can obsess about a, a thing and obsess so much that they start to change the way it's perceived in their own brain and convert it into a way which makes more logical sense to them. And knowing Kubrick being... As calculating a director as he was, I just, I think, I, I don't think he's confessing to a fake Moonland, and I don't think he's no. trying to make an allegory for you know the the Holocaust or anything like that, or uh, uh, you know the the you know the, the, the extermination of uh, of um, you know the Native American population. I I don't think any of that is there what I think he did was very very cleverly is he deliberately put inconsistencies in this movie just to sit in your subconscious that when you go back and think about it you go well that, oh (laughs) and that becomes unsettling thinking that you know something to be cast iron and true and then when you think about something realise that it's not as solid or stable as your memory first me out to think makes you doubt yourself and when you doubt yourself that's when things get creepy. Um, and I think that's what he did. I think he just played with ideas while making this movie. I mean, you don't make Jack Nicholson chop down 50 odd doors in a movie... <laughs> for Shits and Giggles, you do it because you meticulously want the right shot, you want your actors to be in the right state of mind. Everything needs to be perfect in order to, you know, to to satisfy that Kubrickian quota, you know, to, to, to make that benchmark. So, whereas we get, you know, a lot of things mentioned in this movie which are there, like I said before, as kind of red herrings, like the structure and layout of the hotel doesn't really make sense, but... I think that's a deliberate choice because Kubrick just wants you to feel like you know the hotel is either one change in shape two bigger than it is or three <laughs> that your mind just can't be trusted to put you in the psyche of the people in there um, I think the the idea of first talking about uh, Charles Grady and then later on as being introduced to Delbert Grady and when we were introduced to Delbert Grady Delbert Grady says that he did not kill his family and then literally five minutes later confesses to correcting his family, which we know means Um, Mm choppy-choppy. You know what I mean? (laughs) Hitty-hitty with the axe. Um, Once again, another weird... No script writer for this movie allows Charles Grady to go through when that character is Delbert Grady. That is something you don't make a mistake on. So that's a deliberate choice. And that's what I love about this movie is that on a superficial level it works as a creepy tense thriller as you know that's what it's set out to do. But when the more you think, and there's once again it is a testament to that documentary two three seven that you can pick the Shining as a subject which is full of people that obsess over it because there's so much to obsess over. Um, I think that's I think that's really wonderful. Um, Stephen King is not a fan of this adaptation. yeah so a, a kind of understatement. I would go as far as to say that of all the adapted works from his back catalogue, I think this is the one he hates the most. Um, which is why we got that that wonderful TV movie, <coughs> mm. which bored the shit out of me. Sorry, I know there's <laughs> pe- I know there's people out there that like it. The book's fine, and I think I'll be interested to see what your opinion is on this, Richard. Because I come from a kind of similar background as you on this movie. I would have seen this movie when I was about nine-ish ballpark. Maybe maybe ten at a push, but nine-ish. And when I was 14, I read The Shining for the first time. I was really into Stephen King, kind of early teens. And I think I've said before in one of these shows, graduated from Stephen King from my early teens. When I started kind of making my way into adulthood, I started reading Clyde Barker, because Clyde Barker had more sex and stuff in it which just made sense mm-hmm. um, so but I read the book afterwards and the book to me isn't as good as the movie but uh, over time I've come to realise the book's just a completely different experience and should be viewed as a completely different experience which is what yeah. Stephen King can't seem to get his head around that The Shining by Kubrick is Kubrick's version of The Shining it's what he wanted to do with the source material that's that's not Kubrick saying this is what's in Stephen King's book. Cause that's not what he's saying. He's just saying yeah. this is how I interpret your works. And the book has a lot of stuff in it that I personally think if you put that in the movie, slows down the movie or is just not <laughs> relevant. And how do you how do you do some of the stuff in the book, like with the the hedge
1: animals? Oh man, talk about a terrifying scene! I mean, these hedge animals come to life; they mm-hmm. could attack you, you mm-hmm. get all like a thorough scratching. Yeah, <laughs> just, oh, god, chilling! Oh man,
0: <laughs> it's how you get that. I mean, like Kubrick made that a, <laughs> a very wise decision that he didn't want to spend the money because they are going to be shooting for ages and upkeep keep all these things. And then yeah. you'd have to have all these different plants. They would have to all be different sculptures in different positions. And that is logistically a nightmare. Let's just put a giant hedge maze in yeah. here. We can tie it into the end of the movie, but at the same time, I think the hedge maze also... Once again, and maybe looking too much into this, is another level of disorientation which Kubrick just likes to put in it. And it's some ways the hedge maze is kind of the the representation of what the overlay, uh, overlook is like inside. But the, really, the view in the film is that you know you can, when people are trying to work out exactly what is going on in this movie. From uh, you know an artistic point of view, or from an organisational point point of view, or even just try to get the head round the bearings. If you go down the wrong end, it's a dead end. And I quite like this idea of he puts that in there as you know almost a symbol of that, whether or not that's true or not. Maybe he just like hedge mazes. Maybe it was like a secret <laughs> fetish he had. Kubrick's secret, you know, you know, hidden documentation of of hedge mage fetish, which might be out there. But, I, you know, I, I think that, to me, works better. I don't like the ending of The shine in the book. I think it's... I saw the ending coming off, like, in the book the first time I read it. As soon as, like, maybe, like, the third chapter in where the the existing caretaker tells him, you know, if you don't upkeep this boiler, then, you know, the whole thing is going to come down. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, that's how this book's ending. Um, <laughs> so I, I quite like that they, they changed that as well. And they twist some things around um, in terms of, like, they give you a lot more of Jack's past, which I can see the benefits of having that. One of the biggest crimes fledged against this movie is the first time we meet Jack Torrance, he's clearly unhinged. You know? (laughs) You know, you heard the child, you heard about it on the television, uh, talking about, like, cannibals and shit. Um, and yes, he does seem to lose his temper very quickly. In mm-hmm. the book, he does have a temper; um, he does lose it, but he, uh, you know, is very quick to say, "All oh, right, mustn't lose my temper." And there's a whole spiel about his alcoholism and things, which don't make it to the movie at the end.
1: Jack Nicholson, you know, was such a force of nature in in this time period in uh, in cinema history. You know, he was so. Uh, he carried with him so much uh baggage from these crazy performances being known for these unhinged things. And he's so over the top that he can't, you know, just be, uh you know, Johnny Q normal or whatever at the beginning of the movie. And then the hotel slowly changes him. He yeah. goes from Bat shit crazy to gorilla shit crazy, you know, like <laughs> through the course of the movie. So I kind of I think that's completely fair. I think some of the other people they thought about casting like uh, Robert De Niro and uh, Robin Williams oh, and God, so Harrison Ford. Those those people I think could have done a a more of a transition between. Completely normal people to unhinged madmen at the by the end. Yeah. And uh, I, a scene comparing the, the the movie to the book. A scene I would have loved, and for years I remembered because the it's such a great vivid moment in the book. I really remembered it as being in the film, but it's totally not in the film. <laughs> is the uh, the is it a wasp nest that they yeah. find? Yeah. In the snow. And they bring it in, and because of the, the heat's on inside the hotel, the wasps wake up and are swarming around uh, Danny's room. That scene haunted me for years, so much so that I could see it cinematically in my head and then a little disappointed it wasn't in the movie.
0: Yeah, it's, um, I think it's in a TV movie, if memory serves. I think they, they mm. recreate it there. Um there. There's a lot of repetitive themes in the book. Um, there's th- There's a lot of talk of wasps. In the book, um, out with that wasp nest being filmed and bug bombed and brought in, and ultimately still having wasps alive in them. But there's a, the you know King focuses a lot on uh, when Jack's going insane or when he's thinking back over certain things. There's a lot of wasp iconography in his and his thoughts. Um, so I, I, it's one of the things he you know he kind of fixates on the book, which you know. It doesn't make it to the film at all, and I'm like you. I read that, and it's horrifying. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the, the kid gets stung by the thing his dad gives him <laughs> as a present. Even after all the reassurances to his wife, no, the bugs are dead in there. You know, he doesn't actually check um, at all. I, I think that's you know, I, I, it's one of those things that's really cool. I love there's uh, there's obviously more time in the book spent with Jack as he goes insane. Which you know is the like the last third of the book, um, and we don't necessarily get as much of that. But I think it works better in a movie setting the way it's captured. That when Jack finally, you know, when Jack finally does snap when he has that conversation um, in the in the gold room with with uh, Delbert Grady, it tells him you know all about what his son's got and you know you've, you you some of the classic like, you're the caretaker you've always been the caretaker um, and you know then his altercation with the wife uh, with Wendy after all work and no play and you know the fact that he gets locked up in the, the food storage when he comes out of that uh, he is in full rage mode I mean from from the moment he gets released there he is the embodiment of evil to the end of this movie like, mm. right to the very end and it's fucking terrifying and as much as I, I, I imagine that, I know De Niro's a method actor, and I know De Niro can play scary, I've seen him, um, but I don't think any of the casting that was suggested would remotely touch on how just insane Nicholson's yeah. performance is by the end of this movie. Talk about like just embodying, carrying baggage from his, his previous roles. He is... He is... He's... Invokes terror in me still, and I'm a fucking 35 year old man now. You know what I mean? And like, he he terrifies me in that role because there's he has one mission. His mission is to kill his his wife and child, and it's never set out in the you know in the book. It's set out that the hotel wants wants Danny because Danny's got this really powerful ability, and the hotel wants to keep him and wants to consume him. Um, it's never really spelled out that way in the movie and. Quite rightly so. Everyone knows about Danny's. Well, I say everyone knows about Danny's shining power. A lot of people know about Danny's shining power in the book. No one knows about it except um, maybe Wendy, but she doesn't know what it is. She just knows yeah. it as an imaginary friend um, called Tony, who lives in his finger. Um, so you so, see, I mean, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that are changed, but I, I think there's no way you can film The Shining as a two hour movie it's too long you have to start chopping things out when you start chopping things out when you start pulling at threads like we're going to remove the wasp scene so right we now need to remove all mention of wasps we're going to we need to get him in the hotel as quick as possible and not referring to his past life so Jack is no longer a school teacher that has a huge violent temper that you know attacked one of his students that doesn't exist in the movie once again I'm quite happy with that as like I say Jack feels like an unhinged character he's an author some authors are unhinged Um it's an you know it's an art you know what I mean so some artists are a wee bit eccentric you know some like when when uh, Stephen King wrote The Shining um he was very much an alcoholic and very much at his face on drugs so you know I mean i i I, it's not something I hold against the movie he's just an eccentric guy who just wants a bit of peace and quiet to write a book and this right. is a perfect opportunity to get paid while he's doing it Um so yeah I think I, 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 I genuinely I know people out there are very book purists and book snobs on this one but I think that there the are clear yeah you could argue that Wendy's character could be a bit more strong and um, that's one of King's biggest complaints um, and yeah when you look at Shelley Duvall in this movie, she constantly looks like if you if you said boot her she'd burst into tears. <laughs> um but I think that performance is I mean, she went she had to get psychiatric help after this movie. She yeah. had she suffered a nervous breakdown. And that's testament to how much of a bastard Kubrick is. Um and at the same time her commitment to finishing this role. And I think sometimes people overlook how, I mean, we've all had a job where our bosses shouted at us and we've been like, fuck you, but had to continue on with the job. How yeah. many of us have been in a position where your boss mentally tortures you for a year and you still get on with the job? <laughs> um, all, all credit to her, I think she's a lot stronger than a lot of people give her credit for.
1: No, it's it's a testament to, to Shelley Duval as an actress. I mean, she is so good. Um, if I can get creepy for a second, I would love to be locked up in a hotel with 1980 uh, Shelley Duvall for a winter. <laughs> that is just a weird fantasy of mine. I- I've always found her really attractive from this time period, and really? um, Brad, my co-host on the show, I, I confess this to him. Uh, I texted him while I was watching The Shining for this show, and yeah, he shamed me. <laughs> he, shamed, he shamed the shit out of me. He said... He's like, yeah, I wouldn't need several months to kill her. And I was like, oh no no no, I mean like sexy. And he's like, oh dude, I gotta go, you know. Yeah,
0: I, I cannot back you up there, uh, Richard, at all. I, I, she's she she doesn't get my motor running, if, if you know what I mean. Um, I think I think she's brilliant in it. I think as well, like. Uh, like if, we're, if we're talking about scenes well, let's, let's talk about some scenes from the, the movie that are just fucking incredible yeah. um, and I'm not going to focus instantly on the one that everyone wants me to focus on which is the two little girls which is yeah terrifying yeah. me then terrifies me now um, but one of the ones that kind of stands out to me is you know this is just this is just so creepy right so creepy and so weird um, it's when Jack, like when when um, Danny goes into the room, uh, goes into room two three seven. It's not supposed to, and Jack has the nightmare, and it's the the howls of pain he lets out when he's having his nightmare. Oh and you don't God. know what is going on, yep. and so you hear Shelley Duvall hear these fucking horrible, like painful cries to run down, and you know for her to wake up. Jack and Jack to be like genuinely Jack Nicholson's amazing because he looks terrified and he has the worst dream I ever had. I hurt that, you know. I dreamt that, I, you know, I hurt you and Danny and all the rest and I killed you and it was horrible and I never want to have that dream again. And she is so full of sympathy and compassion until Danny walks in the room with <laughs> his collar all ripped, sucking his thumb, oh, visibly man. bruised, and she switches like so quick and she you know, huddles and pulls him back and it's the look of disbelief Um, once again which is another meme which appears quite a lot, you know, it's that famous meme now, when when you hear your friends don't like horror movies and it's Jack Nicholson all confused I love that scene though, I think that scene is a fucking great scene because it sets up the what's going on, you know, Is Jack dreaming about Danny being in that room? Did Danny actually go to that room? What's exactly happening? When you hear his dream, you're like, that's what Grady did to his family. It's terrifying and all the rest. And then to see Danny come in and what I love as well is the switching character because obviously Jack then goes to the room and then through a scene with the the rather attractive lady in the bath who uh, would be the one that I would have thought you would have visualised on Richard, as opposed to, but it's fine. Uh, and then she converts into the the horrible hag, bloated old woman, which is described better in the book because you know who she is. Get some right. backstory for that character. But when Jack comes back in, he's really nice to his family. He's like, no, there's nothing up there, and you know, everything's <laughs> okay. Until you think, oh, it's like he's turned over a new leaf. He's going to look after his family now and all the rest. Until she says, maybe we should leave. And. He's, he gets even more vicious than he's been before. Well, you'd fucking like that, wouldn't you? You mm-hmm. know that I've made a commitment, a contract, and
1: he loses it with her. And I <laughs> even think, even though she's doing all the work. In yeah, the
0: oh hotel. yeah, <laughs> he's, he's yeah, she's doing everything. He's sitting writing in the book. Uh, which yeah, I'd never actually thought about that until you mentioned it. What oh, I don't thinking? worry,
1: my wife caught that.
0: She's oh, like, yeah. oh I see,
1: she's doing all the work while he's just sitting around all she day. Was, oh, right. yeah, well, you you do the You did the one. So oh, it's a team effort.
0: All right, uh, that's a good answer. Always a good answer.
1: <laughs> that's
0: what that's what I see when my my better half does most of this stuff as well.
1: It's a team. As far as that, I mean, you called it on that scene. It is so good. Like, a you've got uh, Jack Torrance having this horrible nightmare, and those the screams are just haunting. And then you've got uh, Danny coming in, who's you know clearly been attacked. Um, later. She thinks, because she wants to believe, that there's someone hiding in the hotel.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Which, if you kind of let your brain go that direction, that's even more creepy. Oh, it's
0: terrifying, yeah. That's
1: so great. And then, of course, then your brain comes back to, well, what if there are no ghosts and it really was Jack and he has no memory of it? Like Stuff like that. It's all really fun to to kind of put all that together. Um, It's, uh, I just feel bad for Jack. I mean, he's got that... The albatross of his family, bringing him down, <laughs> hanging around his neck—it's terrible.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, it's a—you—you uh, you get the—the the opinion in the book that had had Wendy not ended up pregnant as quick as she did, they may have not ended up in the relationship that they are. You know, oh yeah. they're stuck in, and you get that. You get that, and the way he speaks to her, uh, even in the movie, you know, you've had your whole fucking life to to figure things out. You know, just like ultimately dismissive, and the 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 hate, the venom that he spits out towards her is all one sided. Yeah. I mean, she she doesn't really say anything bad about him at all. Um, it's it's once again more more kind of fleshed out in the novel, but. Yeah, he like, throws, even where she's protecting Danny, it's just, how could you, how could you? Um, and then we get the backstory where he's chatting to Lloyd. Once again, some of my favourite scenes are him having these hallucinations of Lloyd, his favourite bartender, um, you know, in the, in the Gold Room, and the fact that, you know... It, it, once again Jack Nicholson's acting is brilliant because he's like, you know, I wouldn't touch him, love every little hair on the little kid's head, <laughs> and then he kinda looks to the side as as if someone might be watching him. Kinda looks to the other side and then goes, Well, there <laughs> was this one time. Um, and it's like how a kid explains a lie. You know how did that? How did that vase get broken? Oh well, uh, a squirrel came in through the window, and <laughs> uh, oh, oh, uh, you know, and then the squirrel fought another squirrel, and when they were fighting, which I tried to stop, they knocked over the table with the vase, and the vase broke. Yep. It's that sort of kind of kid mentality, and his mannerisms are fantastic. They capture it perfectly, um, and the whole story about you know his temper. This is this is how we really find that Jack has a bad temper. Um, I think that's wonderful. We don't need five chapters of a book to explain that. The movie does it perfectly (laughs) in a one-minute conversation between Jack and basically someone from his head, Um, which I think is is great as well. Um, I I love the fact that, some people may argue this point, I love the fact that they kill uh, Dick in this movie. I love the fact that Dick does everything in his power to get back to that hotel finally makes it okay. back to the hotel just gets to the door and takes an axe to the chest
1: let's talk about scatman Crothers, <laughs> man this you know of all the things that i love about watching and rewatching a movie is all of a sudden somebody strikes you and you're like god I, how have i never thought about this person more than you know just when i see this film scatman Crothers, just like a performance of a lifetime like he is so on and so good and you instantly like him, you instantly care about him, and he's like this... The the hero that... Well... Attempted hero. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like, everything about him, beyond his goodness, is totally badass. His freaking bedroom, for one thing...
0: His bedroom is just like a suchy oh, love palace.
1: The only thing missing is the... You know how there's those sexy, uh, like, Nubian princess kind of paintings that are like... Mm-hmm just oh it's just so beautiful the only thing wrong with that scene is why aren't they real and why aren't they like in bed with him like he's got a girl on each arm like that's how badass he is in this movie But yeah, it just, I agree ah,
0: he, he should, that so should have him. Make
1: Um. also he looks a little like my stepdad like um, imagine a white scatman crothers and you've got my uh, my stepdad Ed <laughs> so just just to give you an idea of my life you're it's such amazing. i I've always said
0: you're such a cool motherfucker, Richard. Always. Oh, thank
1: you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but yeah, he's he is. Like, once again, I think the movie like is a, a testament to great filmmaking. Which, by the way, yeah. Kubrick was a great filmmaker. Like all the characters are fully realized in this movie. Like every single character we meet, even down to Ullman who is completely different than he is in the book. He's you know that's just this kind of hotel manager, run-of-the-mill sort of guy. In the book, he is a pedantic bastard who's very obnoxious and all the <laughs> rest. But they changed that. But speaking to Ullman, you kind of, in the movie, you kind of get a gist to who he is, what he does, the burden on his shoulders, and then he's out the movie. And that's all we need. All we yeah. need from him. Perfect. Um, the, the casting of Danny, actually, is brilliant. I, I really like Danny in this movie. Um because he acts like I imagine a small child with an abusive father would act he's constantly walks on eggshells around his dad um, but not around his mum, Round his mum he's really warm and you know full conversations and all the rest which is once again in diametric uh, opposite from, from the book because in the book he's closer to his dad than he is to his mother but mm. um they the they reverse that for this movie, so he really does have a lot more fun with his mum than he does with his psychotic dad, which would make sense. His dad snapped his collarbone when he was three, right? Yeah, you know I mean it just, these sort of things just make um, to me just make sense in the in the movie setting. Um, let, let's talk about uh, when the shit kicks off in the hotel. Starts to uh, come alive, so to speak. So, what we see in in that in this kind of particular thing is when when Jack has gone full crazy, um, full blown crazy, and is chasing them around with axes and all the rest. Um, the sound of the hotel changes And it kind of sounds like A weird combination of naked, uh, naked naked American That's not right, that's Richard um, Native American Chanting um, And these kind of pulsating rhythms And all the rest that's tied up this mania um, Which kind of Adds to the, the speculation Wasn't because the hotel was Built on an Indian burial ground Which is, you know <laughs> Well, why not? At this stage, it could be anything. Um, but we get one of the greatest kind of throwaway shots in the history of cinema, in my opinion. Um, and it's that scene of the person in the furry bear outfit giving oh the head to the guy in the suit. Yeah. And it's the fact that they both just turn around at exactly the same time and look out, and it's so unsettling. <laughs> And I, I realised recently, on recent watches, um, in fact, the most recent watch, uh, I realised that, I mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, that the bear yes, suit yes. is assless. Yes!
1: I was just going to say that.
0: I had never noticed that before, <laughs> and I don't know if that's because I now have oh, a high-def high version God of it. God
1: bless high-definition. I already thought that scene was very creepy. Oh my god! Because I I had to modify my costume. It was to <laughs> It wasn't backless. Or- no, I don't have that. <laughs> Man, you, that scene. I think it caught my wife off guard this time. I think she'd kind of forgotten about that moment, and she's like, "Whoa, wait, what?" Yeah. And it's. It reminds me of um, uh, Federico Fellini a little bit, this where. Is- there's always someone looking straight into the camera in Fellini's stuff, uh, be it Eight and a Half or uh, Satyricon or any of that stuff. There's always someone looking into the camera, engaging with the viewer and chattering or being weird in some way or just glaring at the camera. And that shit is—it never ceases to get me, and I love it. Like,
0: It's that uh, idea as well of, of like, like spirits? in movies one of the things that I think works really well in in movies are when ghosts are doing something and someone can observe them but the ghosts don't interact and then there's that moment where they make a noise and (sighs) That's you know that's when you grab their attention when they turn around. It's terrifying, and it's 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 a shot. It's just a one shot throwaway, and then we have the the dead guest with the blood on his forehead dripping in his whiskey going. Lovely party, um, yeah. you know, and, and all these things. And by then, <laughs> I, it's like the hotel's mania has reached fever, kind of fever pitch. Um, that I think works really well. I think the these kind of small quick shots of things in the movie with those musical stabs which come after the effect like when we see the the twins hello Danny you know what Mm -hmm. I mean Like when we see them the first time we see them we don't get the you know the music hitting in. the music doesn't come in until after he's realized he's seen those two girls and I think that's wonderful because as you first see them and you're like oh what's going on here you kind of settle down and that's when the musical stabs start coming in that dramatic hit of music which then makes you jump again because Kubrick is a prick Um, (laughs) which I think works really well in the movie as well I think my point when, when doing this review uh, is to try and not just go through the movie which has been reviewed by every show about a million times and already by this one but yeah. it's to I think it's more to highlight where certain artistic choices by the director in making the movie over doing scene for scene from the book works and I think these are where these things work the all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy thing is inherent to the movie. It's not inherent to the book. It's fucking terrifying. It's that idea of how long has he been doing this oh he's been he's been crazy for a very long time and not only has right. he just wrote this in but he's wrote it in parentheses. he's wrote it in chapters he's wrote it you know sometimes in dialogue sometimes in capital sometimes in lowercase sometimes a mixture of both and there are pages and pages and pages and pages and i have been living under this roof with this man who has been working quote unquote uh he's not been he's been insane and that is terrifying
1: one of the pieces of trivia that I really liked that I read today was that of course uh, they filmed the scenes in, uh, with the pages uh, in multiple languages oh god so some poor bastard uh, you know uh, gopher had to frickin' type up those hundreds of pages in multiple languages
0: oh god could you <laughs> and then imagine. they
1: would film like, just just that eye for detail man it's so so it's good
0: kyber-like. Kubrick the wide, the wide shots um, this is going to be the last thing I'm going to say actually um, the wide shots in this movie that kind of static wide shot very much has been associated with Kubrick and very much associated with The Shining because um, yeah. that's really where he, he masters it he'd done it before he'd done it in uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey he'd done it in things like Doctor Strangelove he'd done those huge static shots but in this setting we were talking about directors that are not inherently from horror doing a horror movie. And it's funny how when you look at those techniques in different movies, we don't say they're cold or clinical or anything like that. They're just like really nice open wide shots we can take in the whole room. He takes the same technique and puts them in a horror movie, and they define a whole new style of making horror movies. It's um, I've said it before, I'll say it again, the, the, the static shots um of of the you know, the hallway looking up towards the the elevators and the blood, um that shot and its position while you're waiting for things to happen must have been an impact on um Blatty's Exorcist 3. The scene with a killer nun oh, or killer nurse is basically a Kubrick shot. It's a static shot where we hold on things are all happening and then the musical stab doesn't come till after the effect as well she comes out the room then then the music and it's you know it's the shining it's the shining Um, and I I think you you are allowed to listener uh, you're allowed to (laughs) out there enjoy the book you're allowed to enjoy the book because the book is, is one of Stephen King's greatest horror novels you're allowed to do that but because you like that book or love that book, that does not mean that you should forgo and join this movie. I, I, I Like I say, I hear a lot of complaints about how Jack Jack's character is insane from the start and all the rest. I understand that. He is not the Jack Torrance of The Shining Book. Yeah. But as a piece of acting and a piece of film, he is one of the most, if not the most, iconic horror character of all time Um, and you don't get that without Stephen King but you don't get that without Stanley Kubrick
1: yeah I think that uh, part of internet culture that kind of kills me a little bit is that uh, this movie is so iconic and so recognisable that um, memes kind of ruin it in some ways Like, like the meme where they show Jack Torrance being cold I mean that's funny and then you got Jack Torrance, you know, being confused. I like that. A uh, friend of mine at work, she's considerably younger than me, and she said that she's not scared of The Shining because the meme making fun of period blood oh God, right. that shows yeah. the elevator gushing, like, oh, it's that time of the month, ha 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 ha. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. she's like, that's the reason why the movie's not scary for me, and I just wanted to jump down an elevator that didn't have blood in it, you know, like (laughs) just kill myself. It was so depressing, Uh, but you know, I totally agree with you about being able to separate the two versions in your mind. And I know a lot of horror fans uh, don't do this with remakes. Like they're going to remake the shining one day again. You know, they're going to do this again. they hopefully they'll do a nice, you know, six hour, uh, like miniseries to kind of cover it and people will be railing against it. And I say, go for it. Why not? You know, it's yeah. like, uh, they talk about remaking Suspiria. I'm like, go ahead. You know, that movie was almost 40 years ago. Who cares? Yeah. Uh, but I just, man, this is like, this is my favorite movie about marital problems. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like to compare this film to, uh, burnt offerings mm-hmm. a lot, which uh, came out of, I think, a little bit before this,
0: yeah, it's late seventies. Burn offerings, yeah.
1: burn offerings, um, similar stuff. Family uh, in an isolated place. Uh, ghosts are making them crazy. Uh, you know, got Oliver Reed, and, and instead of uh, instead of Jack Nicholson. But um, as great as that film is, it doesn't have this tone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, the thing you talked about earlier with uh, Room Two Three Seven, that documentary. There aren't people making documentaries about their crazy theories of burnt offerings. Yeah, they should, but this movie is so um, uh, easily—excuse me—is so easy to obsess over. Like you're saying, it it has those details, those hidden things in it that, whether or not Kubrick wanted to reference a. the slaughter of the Native Americans, B, uh, the Holocaust, C, uh, the secret moon landing, uh, you know, whatever, or the faked moon landing, any of those things. I love Room 237 for that because I'll listen to people talk about movies all the live long day. I mean, I do it all the time. But the fact that Room 237 is a, like, an ode to kubrick by taking all of these clips from his films and sticking them into this documentary to make it flow Mm -hmm. and then they have this some of the most half-baked bonkers people talking about this stuff and it draws you in and you think yeah this is totally plausible they save the weirdest theory for last yeah (laughs) and that just really really kills me that's i've watched that documentary like Documentary like twice now, and it just oh man, it just gets better every time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I yeah. know people hate it because they're like, "Oh, it's just people talking about a bunch of bullshit." I'm like, "Well, are you a film fan? Like, do you not read film yeah. criticism ever?" It's,
0: you know, it's it's like uh, to me, it's the it is a, a like I say, I think it's a, a great documentary on obsession, but I think it accurately portrays what it's like. That for people to experience art for the first time. You know what I mean? If you go into <laughs> a gallery and you're sat down in front of a painting and then, well, you know, what do you see in this painting? What do you think the artist was trying to convey? Um, 99% of the time people will return an answer which is more relevant to them, how they feel or how they look up upon the world than necessarily the artist does. It's just how we connect to things as people. Yeah. Um, you know, you all the best movies are the movies that you put a little bit of yourself in to. And oh, I'm getting if I'm not wrong here, that's what books do. If anything, <laughs> this book allows you this movie allows you to view this movie like a book. Um a book when you sit and read it, you formulate how a character looks, you formulate how rooms look, just from descriptive words. Mm-hmm. Um, but you paint the picture in your head. Uh, it's all in your head um, and the theories that come out for people watching these movies are exactly the same way as observing a book. It's just you putting things into the movie um, and I mean this. the thing is I, I thought a lot of it sounded, a lot of it is crazy and a lot of it is hokum and then you see someone explaining the moon landing thing, and you're like, why is Danny wearing that top? Why is that carpet exactly. like that? Why? And then before you know, you start to, even if it's for a split second, you start to question it yourself, and that is that's incredible because it makes you doubt. And like I said before, when you doubt yourself, that is terrifying because people <laughs> like to have a, a a firm grasp on reality, um, and when they are they're made to doubt their firm grasp. That's when doubt kicks in. When doubt kicks in, that's 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 what makes me happy. Um, anything else you want to say about The Shining before we uh, before we kick out, where they can uh, check out your show um, and 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 head out here, Richard?
1: Oh, I just have a, two more little things here. Um, one is Joe Turkle, who plays uh, the bartender mm-hmm. in uh, the film. Uh, I just watched. Uh, re for the billionth time Blade Runner the other day. Yeah. And I just feel like this guy, now that he's 90-something or 89 years old, has a missed opportunity in his film career. Can you imagine if he had his own horror franchise oh, God. playing uh, anything? I mean, yeah. just anything. Like, I don't care. He could be uh, a pinhead or a Dr. Giggles or a what he could have been chasing Michael Myers when, uh, when uh, Donald Pleasance passed away. You know who cares? Just yeah. I love Joel Turkle. He's so underrated. Yeah. And his his
0: face, just his face. It's the smile he has on his face when he's like an oh, unflinching, man. unwavering face of, oh, Mister Jones, what will it be? You know what I mean? <laughs> and he doesn't laugh at any of the jokes. He doesn't no, smile. No, he no. just does his job. And I think that's, that's something unsettling about that.
1: As much as I like uh, Philip Stone, who plays Delbert Grady, mm-hmm. how much fun with, if those actors had flip-flopped, you know, like, oh, just yeah. switch character. That would have been fun, too. I would have liked that. Definitely. Uh, my last point um, in my notes, uh, I've been watching this film for 30 years, and uh, it never gets old. These stark images, they never stop being stark. They never decay. Um I won't make a uh, connection to the, the hotel right there. <laughs> My brain's like, dude, it'll it be cool. I'm like, no, <laughs> I won't. It's stupid. Uh, so I just made it in reverse. Anyway. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I can't get enough of this movie. Um, there's so much great stuff. The, the history of the production is really fascinating. Um, the Room 237, I highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it. Uh, I also recommend the documentary that comes with, it's always... Uh, paired up with it, I think. Yeah. Uh, I think Stanley Kubrick's wife
0: directed that. I think so. It's either his it, wife or his daughter. I want to see. Yeah,
1: it's solid, and um, I really like. Uh, now that the theory of him filming the uh, the faked moon landing uh, has been running around on the internet, probably because of Room Two Three Seven, it's even stronger now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stanley Kubrick's daughter said no. Yeah under don't even joke that's not funny like my that would be completely against my father's character to to perpetrate something that terrible so stop talking about it like that's so cool that she did that good for her
0: definitely it's a weird scenario where that's even a talking point you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> strange strange um, yeah so that is like we don't grade it because it's, it's in my top 10 list like I said um, when I started the, these top 10 uh, run of shows for Stephen King a lot of people expected this to top my list I understand why yeah. it is my it's one of my favourite horror movies of all time I don't necessarily think because it changes so much um, I think there are better Stephen King adaptations still to come that mm. are closer to the book, but incredible movies. So that's why The Shining came in at number four. Richard, thank you very much for taking a bit of time to come across and chat The Shining with me. You have a podcast. You mentioned it earlier. Mention it again. Where can people listen to your sexy, sexy voice after mm. after the show finishes?
1: Uh, hello, Doomed Show. Uh, Dot Dot or just head over to. Uh, My site, DoomedMovieThon.com. I have my money riding on your number one is Lawnmower Man. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) What? It's totally faithful adaptation, bruh. It's totally faithful. Uh, I just just love Stephen King talking about his stories of Stanley Kubrick. Like what a lunatic, you know, those crazy phone calls in the middle of the night. Ugh.
0: It's a, it's, so a,
1: good.
0: it's what happens when you know a, a, a unwavering sense of because it's his it's his source material yep. you know it's his book it's it's his life it's a bit of him that went into that meets with a director who views film exactly the same way. And yeah. you come across these two two giants of it of the their respective industries who just will not budge for each other. And ultimately, it's Stanley Kubrick's film, so Stanley Kubrick gets to do it the way he wants. And like I say, Mick Garris went away and did that TV version
1: uh, <laughs> that was
0: out there, and you saw what you got there, um, which is, uh, is yeah, is a far more faithful adaptation to the novel. But I would argue is not nearly as terrifying as that movie from the 80s so um, I know once again people will be spitting their coffee over what they're listening to this on and disagree with me but I have a podcast and you don't so you'll Uh-oh. sit there and listen to what I see <laughs>
1: so. Stephen King and uh, no, Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King is like a unstoppable force running into a cocaine fueled object
0: yeah yeah mm. <laughs> and we'll let you work out who was who. Um, (laughs) Right, thank you very much again, Richard. I am going to jump out just now. When I come right back after this break, I'm closing out the show right after this. You're listening to The Podcast Under The Stairs. And you've been listening to the podcast Under the Stairs, episode number 94, where we looked at number 4 on my top 10 Stephen King adapted movies and TV movies, the very special Summer Top 10 Countdown That gets wordier every time I say it We need to find a way to shorten it Because I am going to struggle by the end of this Top 10, it's going to be the whole outro It's just going to be me trying to tell you what I've done Um, Thanks again to my very special guest, Richard Smith, for coming across. Check out his podcast, Lois' Doom Show podcast, as well as his book, which we never promoted on the show uh, this time around. Um, He wrote a fantastic book called The Jallo Meltdown, which you can find on Amazon. Go and throw him a couple of bucks, it's a great book and very much worth it. So once again, thank you Richard and he will be back at some point. I think we've got more Argento movies to talk about which I can't wait. So that'll be coming somewhere down the line. Um, So what is next for the podcast Under the Stairs? I hear you cry. Well I didn't hear you cry because the show didn't go out when this was recorded and now I'm stuck in a causality loop. Some sort of paradoxical loop where I don't quite know what's so... Underline! Underline the move on! Moving on! Um, so yeah, uh, next week I will be joined by a duo of sexiness. duo of sexiness on this show to discuss number three on the top ten Stephen King list. That is of course Frank Darabont's The Mist. And joining me on that show um, Is a guest that's been on a couple of times before uh, One of my favourite podcasters Going around just now The rather fantastic quote PsyOps From Cinema PsyOps And if that wasn't enough Making his podcast under the stairs Debut is The Boz Now not The Baz This one is the boss and he has been on the page for ages he's been on a podcast for years his podcast is a little pod of horrors and he'll be joining us making his debut on the podcast under the stairs and we're going to be talking about the mist so you know it's going to be warm fuzzy no horrible endings that scar you for life and yeah can't wait to get into that one that's going to be a ton of fun so these guys are going to be joining me and then a couple of days after that show drops Um, it's anniversary time over here at the podcast under the stairs we're going to be celebrating our third anniversary show Um, thank you very much for everyone that has sent in audio messages if you haven't, you have until Friday this week to get them in so do not delay send us in an audio recording of well wishes funny stories or anything you want to send in we're going to play it on the show you can send it by email to podcast under the stairs at gmail.com or just record it on your phone and send it over our facebook to me, private message we've had that done before works it really well i like them i put them in the show everyone's happy saves me talking loads which let's be honest we need to um the poll has closed for the movie selection on the anniversary show you guys fought tooth and nail, it was really 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 close and um, the winner by one vote was John Carpenter's The Fog. So that is the movie that will be getting discussed on the show. I'm rocking it as a solo review, I've got a quirky idea of what I'm going to do on that review, I hope you guys enjoy it. Um, and commiserations to the movie that almost won, it was so so close which was uh, Night of the Creeps and I would have loved talking about that one as well but I get a feeling I'm going to have to do that one with Baz somewhere down the line that feels like a Baz movie so I might have to make that happen I don't know, we'll wait and see um, so like I said at the start of the show I got some pretty fantastic news um, now I kind of teased it weeks ago I said that I found out that there was something pretty cool on the podcast Under the Stairs Horizon uh, couldn't give any details out because I hadn't been Confirmed. It has since been confirmed, so um, I know I'm in a position to share it with you guys. Um, coming up in October, October 29th to be exact, uh, there is a very, very special um, festival day thing, horror thing. I, I think uh, officially, what is known as is the Glasgow Horror Festival. Um, and it's only going on for one day so Saturday the 29th the weekend of Halloween it has been organised by Popcorn Horror which is a digital magazine which is produced in Scotland which is fucking huge I love anything that happens in Scotland which relates to horror Um, I think that more people in Scotland should do more things related in horror but it's great to see that that has a that is making its way. It's a great magazine, actually. I checked out the their August edition, which you can go and subscribe to at popcornhorror.com forward slash download dash magazine dash August dash 2016, or just visit popcornhorror.com um, and you can download the magazine from the links in there. Um, there is a advertisement in that magazine uh, for. Podcast under the stairs which is pretty cool but that's not the huge news like i just said they're putting on this festival date um, and they're getting short movies horror directors and um, they're getting all sorts of arts and crafts shots from all over the place that do horror content there's tattoo artists attending i don't know if they're tattooing yeah, but there's tattoo artists attending it's going to be like a big horror hunk Um, for the community of uh, horror fans in Glasgow and the surrounding areas or anyone that was to travel out with to it it's been held um, this year at Blackfriars Pub in Merchant City in Glasgow and tickets are only £8 at the moment and it runs from 1pm to 1am so we're talking like full on day of horror for £8 is nothing Uh, So you're now wondering why I'm promoting it so much. Um, Well, uh, if you do buy a ticket and you're there fairly sharp, say quarter past one, you will get to see yours truly. I've been asked by the the organizers if I want to be part of a very special horror panel um, looking at creating content um, and kind of new media content on the internet to publicize and promote horror. Um, and as such they have uh, they have seen unwise uh, to ask me to, to come along and kind of represent podcasts on that panel so I'm really looking forward to it um, and I'm really looking forward to, to actually making a lot more friends in the in the Glasgow area that are into horror because albeit this show has existed for almost three years and it's a Scottish podcast uh, we generally have about two-thirds of our listenership in america and i love my american listeners but there is a there's a language barrier there sometimes um where i'm saying things are the Baz especially come on the Baz sometimes it's like listening to a man chewing bees um <laughs> he's gonna hate me if he hears this back but yeah so we, we have some scottish listeners but but not a lot which is weird um, and I, I don't know if it's because people out there don't know the podcast exists or if they, quite frankly, don't give a fuck, which I think it probably is in the latter. Um, but I'm looking forward to, to going out there representing the podcast under the stairs. Like I said at the start of the show as well, the only reason I'm getting the opportunity to do this is because you guys have been checking out the show. I've said it many, many, many times over. The podcast under the stairs only exists because you guys download it. Um, if tomorrow, I checked and download numbers were down in the tens um, and they were slowly going south Uh, I don't know if I'd want to continue doing the show we like to entertain you Uh, myself and the Baz I know I can speak for the Baz on that we enjoy entertaining listeners out there whatever you're doing wherever you're, you're working or if you're out for a jog if you're trying to get through the night shift at work Um, or the kid is not sleeping the little baby is crying and you want something on in the background before you go rage and all shining up in that bitch Um, we we, we like to think that that's what we do we kind of talk about horror but hopefully entertain so you guys have made it possible for me to do this it's something I'm looking forward to a lot I'll be promoting it quite a lot on the show um, for the next month and a bit Uh, so bear with me Uh, you will get sick of hearing me talk about this But hopefully if you're attending the event or plan on uh, attending the event, I'm gonna be there for the the, the panel and there for a good couple hours afterwards. So if you see me, trust me, you will not miss me. Um, If you see me come across and say hi, it would be fantastic to actually put faces and real voices against listeners. Um, And hopefully I'm gonna make a whole hell of a lot of new friends uh, doing this. So yeah, um, you can um, check out the event on Facebook and to do that you all you have to do is type in the search bar Glasgow Horror Festival 2016 or you can find the links through Popcorn Horror. Popcorn Horror is also on Facebook so you should go and check them out as well. Um, There is a multitude of ways to listen to the podcast under the stairs in the interim. Um, The main way to do it is through iTunes. Our majority of our listeners check us out through iTunes. We are eternally blessed to have so many itunes followers and subscribers um, if you have subscribed to us though and you haven't taken the time to give us a review please do um, it takes seconds on itunes and trust me when i say every review we get on itunes benefits and helps the show it's the best way to support what we do over here. doesn't cost you anything either. Um, the more reviews we get over there, let's say for the example five stars, which seems to be the average rating thus far, the more of them we get, the higher up the ratings we get pushed, the more likely we're going to get more people coming across and checking out our show. Um, you can listen to us also on Stitcher Smart Radio, you can listen to us on SoundCloud and visit our website tputtscast.com there are also other ways to interact with us on the social medias facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash cast there are so many more people joined like in the last week i think about 10 people have come across uh, to our page and um, a lot of people just checking out the show for the first time so welcome uh, to 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 our little horror community and um, is the one thing that i'm most proud of from doing the show is the tolerance and fun that that Facebook group page has. So thank you very much uh, for joining that page. You can interact with us through Twitter and on Instagram at tputzcast for both. They are admined by The Baz, so you are really dicing with the devil when you... um, when when you send anything in there because the baz is a CD bastard i don't need to tell you that you guys know that he's in charge of those so there you go right i've blabbered on so much at the end of this episode um all i want to say is once again thank you very much for supporting this show and uh, we are weeks uh, a week and a bit away from our third year anniversary an event that trust me when i say i did not think i was going to achieve um I still don't think that. I can't believe we've made three years already. Uh, It doesn't feel like the show's been on the go that long at all. Um, But that's because of you guys. You make it so fun and so easy, and I can't thank you all. From the bottom of my heart, honestly, everything you do in the way of reposting, just interacting with us and checking out the show makes it all worthwhile. So whatever you're doing out there, wherever you are, whatever time zone, whatever country, whatever language you speak... um, Thank you very much for supporting the podcast Under the Stairs. Please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeese broadcasting live from Under the Stairs signing off.